we had another comment about kind of like foreshadow what you're going to talk about mm-hmm. uh, so that people can kind of gauge. Yeah. Um, um, and so here's our attempt to do that. So this kind of episode is going to be about um, uh, we're going to, to cover all the four political phases of the New World Order. And so we have phase one, which will be monarchies, and they, they used revolutions to destroy the monarchies. Uh, phase two is the nation states, where they use wars to destroy the nation states. Uh, phase three is the corporate state, where they're going to consolidate the world's wealth. And we have a really good quote from um, a New York Times article with Cecil Rhodes. That's what he wanted to do. And then phase four, the global state, this consolidation of all the nation states, all the corporate states, all the global wealth into the hands of an international unelected body that governs the entire world under what is known as a world cosmocracy or uh, control over the entire world. And so that's a that's a foreshadowing of what the what it is that the we want to The podcast is going to be about right now. Yeah. And, and then platforms that we're on, uh, we get a lot of messaging around, hey, you guys over here, you guys over there. So here's the list of platforms that we're currently on, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Rumble, Parlor, uh, Truth Social, Getter, Telegram, Twitter, TikTok, Odyssey, Patreon, BitChute. And so all of that is codified in our, our link tree, who.b slash iconic. iconic yeah. Or at so, least most of it. I don't know if they allow it to do like a lot of it, but most of the main ones mm-hmm. would be there. And every time, every time something new pops out, I just go ahead and create an account just in case and okay. then so we can be everywhere. And so another uh, idea is that we should probably slow down a little bit mm-hmm. uh, on some of this information. Um, for us, it's kind of like uh, we want to get it out there machine gun fashion. Yeah, uh, yeah you got to keep in mind for like eight, like what is it? it's <laughs> been at least a year almost or eight months to mm-hmm. a year. And all that information we're still been collecting and everything has been uh, in the background. Nothing really stopped. Yeah. And here's the outlet. And then we just want to... <laughs> Just throw all the information, exactly. make sure everything is out. But yeah, we realize we have to slow it down. Yeah, yeah. it has to be digestible to yeah. the audience, right? Otherwise, it just um, kind of gets lost in the shelf. Yeah, so the good thing about the documentary was we, we had the ability to show, you know. Right, we yeah. switched to the podcast because we can bring the information faster. But because mm. we had that backlog, now <laughs> there's a lot more coming out, you know. If something new comes out or we forgot to add in a previous podcast, we can mention that the next one. That's the good thing right, about the podcast. we come back to it and hit it yeah. again. Um, with that being said, you can support us at theiconiclabel.com. This is the house cleaning section. So hoodies and hats and t-shirts at the iconic label. You notice we're not in the hoodies today. Yeah. It's too hot in the studio. So we went with those villain <laughs> t-shirts. Yeah. And, um, and you can also support us on Patreon. So patreon.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that being said, um, let's, let's go ahead and get into it. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, what is this new world order concept? And so um, the new world order is really the old world order 2.0. And so, well, well, what was that? What was the old world order? Well, the old world order is what we would loosely term the dark ages. That's a period of European history from about 500 to 1500 AD. And so if you look at the dark ages, uh, it was characterized by multiple feudalistic monarchies, kings, queens, emperors under a feudalistic system. And on the bottom, this peasant class of people that made up the bulk of the population that did the majority of the work on the land. And so we're going to see later on that this thing is going to come back full circle. And there's a reason why that structure initially dies off. And then there's a reason why uh, there's a mechanism that we can identify later that will be the thing that brings us back to that that same sort of system. The old world order is characterized by a few ideas. And so we have a, a bulletized list. And so uh, multiple feudalistic monarchies, yet kings, queens, or emperors. Um, multiple countries or kingdoms with closed borders. Closed borders is a very important piece, especially back in the day because you fought and you spilled a lot of blood 
over these territories, um, each with their independent standing armies to protect their territories, each with their own currencies like the silver pennies uh, that were these thin coins. Um, each of them had their, they had established a system of justice. And if we just fly through this list here, they had their own taxes, they were sovereign, they were patriarchal, more kings than queens, that type of thing. Um, they had their own laws or rather decrees. And then you have a state religion. So if it's 500 to 1500, then it's predominantly Roman Catholic, clearly defined male and female roles, um, within responsibilities, traditionally clearly defined roles within society. So you had the king, you had the nobility, you had the lords, you had the professional soldiers, and you had the peasants. And so it, it seems now that we're, there, there's some something that happens that makes this um, this thing go away. Yeah. And so... Um, it, On all those levels that you just mentioned, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to get to that, which we're going to call the Great Consolidation. And so if that was the old world system, and that's that's kind of like that, those are the characteristics of it, then the new world order would be characterized by a world government or a global government of unelected governing bodies, right? So or open borders because everyone will be considered a world citizen. Then you'll have a world army. NATO is the standing army to enforce UN policy. These peacekeepers, as they're always called, and then... As you, as you see under their authority, there's not that much peace being legislated. And so then you have a world court based on international law or admiralty law or the law of water. And we mentioned previously, I think, that Jordan Maxwell, he does a good, a, a good job covering that. Um, you have a world constitution or perhaps uh, based on Humanist Manifesto 1 or 2. You have a cashless society or, or credit-based currency system, fiat coin and paper currency. Uh, no longer accepted, the gonzo, right? And so, uh, so, <laughs> so if cash was king, we can see that the, just like the feudalism is gone, and then the kingdoms are gone, now the cash will also right, be right. gone. So every, so every single piece, yeah. and this is going to go into the great consolidation piece. Every single piece of that old system needed to be uprooted, uh, but we're going to see that we're going to come full circle um, in just a, a few minutes. So. And so the next piece is top-down uh, surveillance. So we'll have the five eyes, the seven eyes, the nine eyes, and the 14 eyes alliances. And these are intelligence agreements, uh, the U.S.-U.K. Uh, uh, agreements that share intelligence services between um, all of these nations. Um, the whole idea of like boots on the ground yeah. is being replaced with technology. And so when Klaus Schwab mentions the fourth technological revolution, um, or the fourth industrial revolution, the, the idea that a, a wholesale across the board, yeah. everything is being revolutionized by by technology, really AI, algorithms, robots, those type of things. And so it, it's going to affect the intelligence world as well. Because when you have these agreements that go back to the 60s, right? So um, you get all of this this technology exposed under, you know, um, after 9-11, uh, you get this idea of like, uh, we're moving from this, uh, you know, this total surveillance idea. Uh, and if we bring up the idea of like track and trace and things like that, the technology was already in place prior to um, the, the first sort of um, events that yeah. were to just bring in the legislation, bring in the, the, the law aspect of it. And so once those things are already in place, the, the technology will always be light years ahead for, from where the legislation currently stands. And so you need some type of an event mm -hmm. to, to catch everything up exactly. because you have other things that you're trying to do that involve this, this, uh, this historic plan. 
And so as we continue to go through here, so you get, you know, a microchip population. And people are very familiar with the concept of, you know, the populations being microchipped. And so uh, one of the new things is the transdermal microdot. That's the, the, the new one from Microsoft. So um, you get non-traditional male and female roles and responsibilities. You get non-traditional family units like uh, BLM has said they want to break apart the nuclear family, father, mother, child. Those ideas have to go. Mm -hmm. um, the next piece is uh, selective breeding. And so humans will be birthed into the world to fulfill specific roles that are predefined by the state. And so this idea of you being able to bring another human being, uh, you'll be penalized or imprisoned for going against the law, right? The new law. And this is for, it goes under this idea that, you know, the earth is like a giant ship and it can only take so many passengers with it. And so if you're the one that's contributing to the quote unquote overpopulation of the capacity uh, of, of the planet to produce the resources that we need to sustain ourselves, then you become... Um, liable. You, you're not only liable, you're producing more useless eaters because the ones that we need for the society to function, those are the authorized births. Those that aren't, those need to go or you need to go because you're the one that's causing the problem. And Is so, it going to be the three strike rule or something? Or? <laughs> so so we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll see, right? And so the next piece of it is like a two-tier caste system. So you had elites and you had the serfs and you had, you know, some structure in between. But, you know, the idea was that, you know, the, the nobility or uh, what we're going to get into later with oligarchical collectivism, you know, those type of things amongst the kings, the queens and the emperors were it was predominant as well. Yeah. And the funny thing is kind of we're moving towards that uh, era where there will be serfs and uh, I mean the, the servants and the, uh, mm -hmm. the elite class. But they're doing it through this whole, you know, uh, socialism, uh, communism. Hey, we mm. all have to get together. Then we can do, you know, <laughs> like uh, why you're working for a company that doesn't right. value you. You have to unite and do all this mm. stuff. But and then as workers a, of the world unite through all the yeah. capitalistic change. Right? All as an employee, system. it's just like when uh, Bezunov said, you think it's being done for you. It's not. But yeah. yeah. At the end, <laughs> you're going to realize real fast that this yep. you were building somebody else's world for it, somebody else. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's the actual goal. So you get everybody on your on your side because you like these ideas of, of community. You, and so, you know, socialism was supposed to be the, the vehicle to get us to the communistic state. And so in joining everything in community, you go, look how great this is. We don't need a police power to come in because we all recognize how great the sharing of the environment, the sharing of resources. We, 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 we can see how good that is. And the state itself will now dissolve. You'll no longer need this enforcement arm. You no longer need this this this, this body to kind of like um, regulate anything. People will self-regulate. And that kind of ties into uh, a lot of the mystery religion stuff because they want to produce an enlightened society. Yeah. And so a part of that enlightened society will be a lot of this uh, stuff that you find the uh, crumbs in, in when you read like socialistic um, writings or communistic writings. And so as we continue to stay on task here, so we write, you know, I, I think we're going to see that somebody liked how it was during, you know, the dark ages and um, they want to do their best to make that a global reality. So uh, they're trying hard to get it back. In the meantime, we go through this, this transition phase and, um, and we'll use, uh, uh, they're going to use population as a weapon to, to do this, right? So population, um, and or, or depopulation is a huge piece of this because as we see there's going to be a mechanism that causes the population not only to to rise up or increase in number but to become educated yeah. and rival uh, those that were currently in power rival their power 
And so if we continue the story here, so sandwiched between this old world order concept and this new world order concept is, is basically where we are today. And so now we have this, what's known, as we mentioned before, is this great transition. So we're going to go from, from independent sovereign nations to a single world body globally governed via two unelected bodies. And so secular power is going to be uh, in the UN. And on, and on behalf of that, uh, that the other side of that is the, the religious power, the Vatican. This is why there's the two keys on there, one for secular power. The other one is for spiritual power. Yeah, spiritual power. And so the next piece of this will be uh, we're going to go from closed borders um, marked by national boundary lines to an open border policy. All nations will lose their sovereign boundary lines. They're already doing this like within states that your your borders and boundaries between states will mean no more than like the county lines kind of do today. So if you're in Los Angeles, what's the difference between San Bernardino County versus L.A. County versus Orange County? And so if, if that's the, the type of dissolving that's being done, and, and we find that rhetoric, we'll find it in, in the Agenda 21 documents, right? So as we go through that way later in, in what we have prepared, um, you'll see that that's the actual goal. They're going to set up regions that, that specifically the goal of those are to blur all of these lines. And then, you know, it's kind of like going back to Zygmunt Brzezinski's uh, The Grand Chessboard. You, you, you take these guys who, uh, if you need a nation state here, you, you, you'll make one. If you don't, then you'll dissolve it. But if you need some conflict in the middle, then you, you take two warring factions, two warring family or tribes, and you pit them around natural resources, let them argue and bicker. And when they get to start fighting, that's when you come in as a peacekeeper. But they didn't know that behind the scenes, you, you drew it up that way because you want to come in eventually and get those resources and you want to partner with them to do it. So they don't know that they're being exploited. They think of you as a as a peacekeeper. Yeah. They, we're going to get that peacekeeping term, that peacekeeping idea. It's going to constantly pop up. On yeah, the scene. I mean, I, you know this. I don't know how many other people know. I've told you about uh, war in Armenia too, mm -hmm. about two years ago. So uh, yep. you have Azerbaijan attacking Armenia over some land that they've been going back and forth for uh, for a couple, at least uh, thirty years. That's the this is the second war, and um, so war goes on for forty four days. Mm -hmm. We have Turkey. The NATO, the good guys, the also good guys. helping out the, uh, <laughs> you know, the Azerbaijan who's attacking Armenia and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And here's Armenia crying for help, right? right. If you don't know, I'm Armenian. And um, <laughs> Russia comes in, finally, after 44 days. They come in, yeah. the tanks move in, and then we go into the normalization <laughs> state. And they come in as what? As a peacekeeper. Yes. So they take a nice area where the, the where kind of in between mm -hmm. two uh, uh, nations that are warring and where the 28 billion dollar pipeline was going to go through uh, azerbaijan through armenia to turkey to supply yeah. some natural gas and resources to europe right and that has its own history well, exactly. why they're doing that yeah so now we we've seen russia do it mm. now we're gonna see probably something like that that's going on right now we can't even say it it's crazy because we already one of the videos we uploaded just because we named the country all of a sudden that's right it's uh ukraine <laughs> yeah because <laughs> it's it, us we upload the video and and then it, it <laughs> yeah it's like giving us a warning yeah so we had to cut it out or whatever yeah just yeah. we manually review and everything so yeah. we'll, we'll probably see something like that too now mm -hmm. like you said you have two warring countries and then somebody has to step in as a peacekeeper right right the worse it gets the more uh, outcry for the for the peace comes out and then everybody wants to unite and uh just 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 let's coexist guys yeah yeah, yeah. so um that kind of gets us on to the next piece here so um 
you get this idea of uh, yeah sovereignty is going to go out the door for the nation states and then you know from national armaments and weapons to protect each country well uh, there's already talks about doing this um, you know take the weapons of war out of the hands of the nation states because they're they're kind of like spoiled children they don't know how to behave and they keep fighting amongst themselves and they're causing all of these unnecessary casualties and so what we need to do is um, we need to take these weapons of war and we put them under the authority of like the United Nations or some world governing body. And so somebody we can trust. Somebody we can trust. Kind of like you know uh, they did with the uh, the Federal Reserve that yeah. it's not neither federal nor does it have any <laughs> reserves. Uh, but the whole idea was to, to stop the ebb and flow of the market, right? So it's as federal as Federal, federal Express, right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> And so the next piece is from national currencies to a cashless social credit system. And so, again, we, I think we've re reiterated this a couple of times, but um, uh, our financial scoring system was, you know, built upon um, by the Chinese to get their social their um, their social credit score system. And so that's going to be um, what it all, all all of that is going to end up being is the gamification of society to where. Uh, you, you don't really have these things that were, were called natural rights anymore. They're going to really, they'll be called natural rights, but they're really going to be privileges, kind of like driving in California. Driving is a privilege, but it's not a right. Yeah. And if we go with the theme of like corporation and companies and all that stuff, we know that they have policies, right? So then there's no real, it, it's not a law, it's a policy. Right. You don't obey by it. So mm -hmm. we've saw the past two years where, um, well, we can legally enforce this, but this is a mandate. Like, okay, what does that mean? Do right. I have to do this? Do I not have to do this? Because exactly. if you're saying I have to do this, there's some rights you're infringing on. <laughs> right. That's why you're not saying that it's a law, but then, you know, right. somehow you're still pushing it. So, yeah. Yeah. Somehow we're all, we all have to abide by it. Yeah, right. but, yeah. So, but we already see how blurred the lines are, right? Between the mandates, the laws, yeah. what it goes over, what it can. And if you're a civilian, you're yeah. one of those people walking around without uh, yeah. obeying the mandates, uh, without wearing the face coverings and things like that then you get vilified yeah. by those that are either uh, perpetuating the psyop or those that are fooled, fooled by, by it. It. yeah, yeah. Um, so the next piece on here we're going from uh, national constitutions to international law uh, of universal privileges based on a social credit score and then we get we go from this quasi-religious freedom idea to uh, this idea of universal nature nature worship based on pantheism, and so we'll get into later to why they use pantheism. It, it satisfies both the secular and the sacred accounts, and so people that you know if, if nature is like this universal thing that kind of glues everybody together, um, if you call nature God, then you have uh, some people that on the the religious side would be like you know this is God's creation, we should take care of it. If you're a, a secularist like this is my environment. I'll, I want to take care of it. Yeah. And so when you get the consolidation of the religions later under this idea of pantheism, um, we're, we're going to see the end results of that when we get to the section that talks about, you know, why they want to unify the world's religions and, and what's really behind all of that yeah, stuff. Bringing back the blue laws or whatever, right? That's what it was called? Blue yeah, laws? So, yeah. So in the United States, so so just like, a, a, I guess, a heads up, you know, the 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 lockdowns that we saw under the pandemic will then uh, kind of shift over to as CNN correspondent would say <laughs> where the next thing for us is climate change yeah and then that's gonna we're gonna hate climate change fat and yeah whatever the, the next said. thing after that is is Sunday law yeah. right and so that will be implemented globally now you can get this idea of look how look how much the the earth recovered under this idea that everybody was resting uh, they didn't call it that um, because everybody was under a mandatory lockdown 
And so you get a, a cleaner environment. Look at the air. The air is it's fresher. It's easier to breathe. It's, you get all these, if you look at the maps um, uh, of like air quality, it's green everywhere, right? And so under that idea, um, well, if we all just took one day uh, off. Out of the week, right? Out of the week to let the environment rest. Uh, so, uh, you know, you're, you're appeasing both parties yeah. at that time. So and since you Christian folks like that Sunday thing, you know, you don't want to work, you want right. to go and all that stuff. How about we take that day? Right. So, yeah. so, so Sunday is not the Sabbath, but they're going to use Sunday as that international day of, of rest. And so the, the, the secular people will be like, yeah, I'll take a day off for the environment. Why not? Give me three days off if it's, um, <laughs> if it's necessary. Right. So. Um, and then you get this idea of, of non-traditional family structure. So no more uh, this idea of a father, mother, child. It can be two fathers, two mothers, and you know whatever mixture uh, is allowable. And so the next piece is selective breeding for determined roles within the world state. And um, and so here's where we finally get to the what's known as the Great Consolidation, or at least what we term the Great Consolidation. And so they're going to consolidate all national constitutions under a UN charter. Um, we already see this type of thing happening. You get all these parallel uh, organizations, NGOs, CSOs, um, that are set up to do the primary functions and roles of uh, administration. Yeah, they start as advisory companies, That's right? Start, yeah. We'll just come here and make sure that, you know, you're yeah. doing the right thing. We just want to advise you on policy. And, and so most of your policy actually comes from these characters. And we'll get into, you know, I think midway through is kind of like all the roundtable group influence on all the governments of the world, how they do it. And um, it, we kind of get the, the, the nitty gritty behind the, like in the details, the inner workings of the roundtable groups when Cecil Rhodes was still here. And then shortly after he passes away, who takes over from there and, and what the actual ideas uh, were. And so the next piece is consolidate all the wealth through corporations. And so you have this um, idea that they want to bankrupt the nations. We saw this before with Cost Plus, with the, uh, war, the, the war on terror is what they called it. But, yeah. you know, the war on Iraq, the war in Afghanistan. And so Cost Plus was you, you would get a, if you're a company that's going over there to participate, your khaki, Blackwater, Keller, Brown and Root, you're going over there to, you know, uh, provide security or, or, or put in roads and, and, and electrical wires. and Or just, the, you know, democracy. You know, yeah. make sure that, yeah. <laughs> so, and the military is doing the democracy yeah. part. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a supplemental. Uh, um, oh, yeah, company. the companies that are supporting. That's right. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. I'm thinking of the military. You're, you're yeah. laying the, the roads for, for K, the people need to get to KFC and they need yeah. to get to, you know, Starbucks. Right. So. Um, so you get this idea that under cost plus you got a percentage of the total amount of money that you wasted, right? So you had your know, laundry and a bag of laundry was costing $99 per bag, a six pack can of soda, a couple, yeah, a six pack of soda was $45. Yeah. And so you get these extravagant costs. The one that we saw was the SUV that they paid the total lease was $250,000 for a $40,000 vehicle. Yeah. Mo most of it is, we go a little bit deeper in communist version one in all those, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that one is still on YouTube. So you yeah. can watch that. Yeah. They haven't, they haven't stricken yeah. Yeah, it's like imagine you're trying to teach your kid about business you know hey you can open this lemon and stand here's ten dollars if you spend all that i'll give you 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes no yeah sense. to cover yeah. whatever you spend and then 20 uh, uh two dollars would be your profit yeah, so however much money you waste yeah i'm gonna give you that as a percentage of profit plus i'm gonna cover uh, your base cost of the contract for going out there so yeah. there's this upfront. this is what we're gonna this is what we're willing to pay for you even going mm -hmm. on, on this uh, campaign yeah so for whoever has the lem lemonade business that's really good but who 
whoever is going to pay that's not <laughs> yeah. going to last too long and so this was part of you know the you know the you know robert wells from the john birch society he gives those 10 point strategies for how you would systematically go through and 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 do something like this you need to get rid of um the, the currency of the united states as wastefully as possible and we start seeing that you know you, you get these ideas like in the last uh, year or two years we borrowed more money than historically we've ever printed yeah i think it's like over 30 percent of the uh printed month was in the yeah. past two years over 10 trillion dollars and, and where is it um, I'm sure he's doing something good in the world, yeah, Jeremy. So, so I wouldn't we, question it. So we can it. get into to, yeah. to that stuff later because you know, if you, there's this whole idea: follow the money, follow the you find the the perpetrators, right? Um, but what is the next piece here? So uh, the, for sure, they're consolidating the wealth, and you're getting these CSOs and NGOs kind of taking over the functions of government, but in the international space. And uh, also, we we see it with like BlackRock, Vanguard, and all that stuff too. Majority of these big companies are owned in major shares to them to the point where now you have mm -hmm. somebody like Elon Musk would come in buy a majority selling uh, shares in Twitter mm -hmm. and then Vanguard would go out of their way to buy more just yeah. to have that control and it's not even valued that much yeah they're, so they're, what like trying to pay yeah exactly like yeah. you said if we follow the money if all it is it about the, these are business people you know they're just trying to make some money you're like okay here's a company that's not worth 50 billion or 40 something billion right but you're being offered that a smart business decision would right. be sell it, right? Yeah, Make your shareholders thing has happy. Reached its its uh, fruition. Exactly. It's time for the exit strategy to kick in. Yeah. Let's sell this thing and all walk away. But we see it has nothing to do with it, and all it is is the control that they want, right? Mm -hmm. Twitter has become this big when it comes to like, because uh, the idea was um, at least what Elon Musk says he was going to do, turn it into a, a public square, mm -hmm. whereas like you know freedom of the speech would be kind of like the main hmm. uh, thing that they would focus going forward, right? Yeah. But we see there are companies that uh, are not so happy with that idea to the point where they're willing to lose a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, yeah, so for, for that type of stuff, uh, for me, I would, you know, there's this speculation, but, you know, I would say that you know, none of these guys are, are about what they're trying to do, right? So this is, this is like smoke and mirrors. This is the theater where all of this stuff plays out. None of it is about any of that stuff, right? So big tech is not these guys that yeah. people we would We mentioned know about. some big yeah. tech on the communist version too, right? Yeah, yeah. that's communist version. So we, we, we yeah. yeah, so we, we go through all the different programs that the, and these are old programs that, that uh, who knows what they are today yeah. unless you're working at the NRO and the NRO is a national reconnaissance office and so um that's big tech NRO NSA those guys and then um so so to play around on, on what looks like a, a big stage for us because you know that's a lot of money uh, it seems like that's you know a, a big deal but yeah. it, but it's not it's 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 nowhere on the we would look at technology especially military technology and i think we mentioned previously or, or maybe not we mentioned miter corp uh, darpa uh, yeah. the jason group th those uh, these are guys that we'll get into later because in terms of like the coming to the pinnacle of the military industrial complex when you start looking like vanguard blackrock and those guys managing portfolios that are in upwards of the 10 trillion mark that's greater than most of the GDP of most nations and and when you do that then um, you have to look at their portfolio and see well um, that that's gonna kind of give you a good idea about um, where, where things can go the, the, this whole idea of like the the military industrial complex 
um, has not gone away. It won't go away. And it's a big key factor in uh, what the roundtable groups wanted to get actual control over. Um, Because uh, military armaments, and, you know, that's a huge business. And you get this idea of guns, oil, and drugs. Uh, That's that's the, you know, and some people would say that's the end of God that they trust, right? So, um, but these are mega industries. And when you have companies uh, of this magnitude being managed, their assets being managed by just a, a hand full of, of companies um, you, you can start seeing like um, they start t- you know, basically throwing their weight around and when they do that who can do anything against it and so n- nation states have these natural limitations but corporate states or corporations can easily uh, kind of like uh, do their own thing as long as they play by the nation state rules for a time uh, while they're systematically gutting the nation states of their wealth of their sovereignty and their standing in the world and so we see um, the World Economic Forum has already said the United Nations or actually the United States will no longer be a superpower by 2030 and uh, well how can they make a declaration like that I mean if, if you if when we get into that stuff um, it, it'll be clear to see because you're wasting all of this money for the nation-state and uh, you're, you're kind of basically uh, handcuffing the nation-state through debt and then um, once that's done it's just um, it's just a couple crises away from getting your your way essentially um, and, but let's let's stay on task here because we kind of hopped off um the next piece of it will be uh they're going to consolidate the currency so as we said say goodbye to the coin and paper um you're going to go one world digitized currency that you know we we've we have i think we we have some articles where you know they're removing atms from all over the world and as people try to go pull their money out this is um this will be a major problem (laughs) especially like not only has the united states borrowed so much money till your purchasing power drops um, and if you keep it in the bank and if it's considered cash, then there's this problem that you're losing money over time. Yeah, but the if, inflation, yeah, you're losing money by just holding cash, right? By yeah. just holding on to it. And so, but, you know, imagine if not only that, but you, you have your access to it, your ability yeah. to go and actually pull it out to use it in the economy. So we saw that with 150 million Russians that when Visa decided that you no longer have access to your money, you that, don't. That's the corporate state. Yeah, talking so and yeah. then right before that when, uh, go that it decided that the Canadian trackers uh, yeah. trackers don't get their money the nine million or ten million dollars yeah. we side then too yeah. and then people that were um, donating even to that their accounts being frozen mm-hmm. and then the whole uh, yeah. yeah so we we're seeing it now where as before these things would sound like oh you're just crazy who's gonna do that they, yeah. nobody would do it they yeah. won't they won't let them they, they had their laws or, there's or, rights yeah you, you get all that that pushback <laughs> yeah so. Um, but let's go to the next one. So consolidate energy resources now under climate change law. So Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, Agenda 2050. The whole new, uh, green, uh, green New Deal and all that yep. stuff. So Green New Deal, the Paris Accord, COP26, sustainable development, right? So with those, they want to go down to the city levels and they want to create these regions for which there will, there will be overlapping uh, regions for different cities. And so the question will become, well, if it's this city, then it's this person or this elected body or officials. Uh, if it's that city, it's the, but if you're setting up something that's kind of going to area, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah so it's a area, sub area, subgroups, regions. And, and what that's going to do is give them the ability to, to kind of transverse all of those different areas, but not with elected officials. Yeah. You so put, an elite group will choose somebody to put there, right? And so now this kind of gets us into like one of the, the forms of government technocracy where, um, 
through uh, through your your ability your 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 tools um you can kind of do things and that you don't need a human being there for so you would just need like a technical expert to provide some type of data and that data would be scientific with some peer-reviewed um, uh, publications associated with it and it'll be very convincing and then people that were uh, uh, unelected officials those guys will rise up as kind of like leaders but yeah. they're unelected so you have no say so in what things they actually do um, but now they become the trusted source and the unelected, the elected officials, they, they kind of like fall Follow. off to the side. Yeah. yeah. And again, I hate to bring back COVID again, but we saw that the <laughs> often, like when it came to that too, right? So you had somebody unelected making a decision and I'm not even saying Fauci, even before that, when we right. saw from, uh, from Germany, right? We have this whole COVID yeah. episode. We never released yeah. it too, right? Christian Dresden, uh, Dresden yeah. comes out with their synthetic version and then all of a sudden everybody yeah. starts, gets in line and then mm -hmm. starts following that. Yeah. Uh, the next piece of it will consolidation of all, we spoke about this a little bit earlier, consolidation of all biological, chemical and nuclear weapon arsenals out of the hands of the nation states and into the hands of the unelected global, uh, global governing bodies. And so obviously the candidate for that is the United Nations. And um, uh, I think uh, we included in communist aversion too, there was this uh, idea of like world government will only be the thing that can solve um, all of these conflicts between nation states, right? So you get this idea that nation states are irresponsible, that they, you know, you get these this in patriarch, like this idea of like um, uh, having all this like nationalism or, or, or nationalistic ideas, these things are going to kind of be demonized. We kind of already see that now, but you know, we, we mentioned this in communist aversion too, where, um, the idea of, of raising children to be patriotic, raising the children to have this national fervor, um, these things will be, they'll be demonized. Yeah. Right? And so today we're already seeing the, the, the beginnings of those things. It's going to continue to increase, because um, nationalities or um, nation states are the hindrance to global government because you have you have to get the sovereignty out of the way. So remember the quote from Toynbee, Arnold Toynbee, who says, um, uh, we're trying to wrest this mysterious political force called sovereignty out of the hands, out of the clutches of the nation, nation states. And so um, we, we, you know, all, while we're denying with our lips what we're doing with our hands, yeah. And uh, we have a, a bunch of good quotes that are um, that both didn't made it into communist version too, but uh, we'll get into later. And so the last piece of this will be like you know the consolidation of law with national constitutions being dissolved into international law. So this will be the international admiralty law or the law of water. And again, Jordan Maxwell is good on that. All courts will be under the jurisdiction of the International Court of Justice. A world court, right? A world yeah. court, military tribunals, yes. And so, um, and so we get this idea again that sandwiched between the old world order and the new world order is the story of how it is all happening. And so there, there are two transitory ideas that help make the transition possible. And, and, and those, um, those conditions are uh, to bring about two things, the nation states. And so the nation states either, you know, you, you can define them as either constitutional republics, monarchies, or democracies, or uh, the corporate states, uh, which are powerful corporations or groups of corporations that control constitutional republics, monarchies, or democracies. And so where are we at currently? Well, we're in the nation state phase that's moving Going into, into the corporate, corporate state. state phase that is going to give rise to the global state phase. And so if we do a, a quick uh, uh, overview, uh, there's somebody, there's some entity behind the scenes that wanted us to go from monarchies, something rivaled the monarchies, uh, rivaled their power 
at that time back in the five to 1500s and, and they they got rid of them by using revolutions and then they gave rise to uh, some people would see that rise as like a natural occurrence from like the French Revolution the American Revolution things like that uh, but we'll see that there's um, as the Masons have the, the hidden hand that's behind the scenes right so somebody's moving these concepts forward so we're gonna go from monarchies over to nation states nation states to the corporate state corporate state to the global state Understanding this piece will kind of give us a, a, a good springboard to understanding the, the entire New World Order narrative. And so um, we can start with monarchies. Yeah. And so we asked the question, well, what is a monarchy? You know, so a monarchy is a form of government in which a single person is the head of state uh, for the entirety of their life or until they're um, basically they die or abdicate the throne. In most monarchies, you would have the, the three powers of government. Uh, the executive, legislative, and judicial powers, they all reside in one office. This guy's judge, jury, and executioner. And so, um, and so and that office is the office of the king, the office of the queen, or the office of the emperor. And so today we have a few uh, constitutional monarchies that are left. We have the United Kingdom, they have a queen. Belgium has a king. Norway has a king. Japan has an emperor. And Thailand also has a king. And so we go, okay, if we're going from monarchies over to nation states, what is this nation state thing? We, we kind of have a, I think everybody has an idea what the nation states are, but it turns out that they're pretty difficult to define. So you have th three different theories on, on how to define them. So it is important to note that there's no real agreed upon definition of nation states, but there are three competing theories. And so the first theory is what's known as the declarative theory of statehood. You know, a state is a state if it fits the following criteria. It has to have, you know, a, a defined territory. I mean, at least you got to have that. A permanent population, your people can be coming and going, right? So you can't have nomads that are wandering the land. Uh, it has to have some type of government, some some type of government in place, and the capacity to, to enter relations with other states. It's okay, that's, you know... Um, it's self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah, so we're pretty straightforward. And so you get this idea, a, a state doesn't have to be recognized by other states for it to be a state. And so then you get the constitutive theory of statehood. It says, you know, a state is a state if it's recognized as sovereign by other states. You go, okay, you know, that, that makes, uh, uh, there's there's cases of that, right? So then you have the Westphalian system, you know, based on the Treaty of Westphalia, 1648, where they say a state is an entity that has sovereignty over its territory and its domestic affairs to the exclusion of everyone else. No external powers based on this principle of what they call non-interference. I'm over here. I'm doing my thing with my affairs in this, in this land. These are my borders and boundaries. You'll leave me alone. Leave me alone, yeah. right? And I'll leave you alone, that type of thing, right? So... And then, and so you go, uh, uh, the nation state has become the standard ideal in France during the French Revolution. And quickly, the, the, this nationalist idea spread throughout Europe and, and later the west of the, the rest of the world. And so a standard definition now that we'll hear is like uh, a nation state is a political entity that has, you know, that's the state part uh, that governs a, a cultural entity. Like um, so that's the nationalistic part. And so by serving its citizens, people that are living in a territory with a common culture organize a government or a ruler or an army conquers the territory and imposes its, its own will upon the people, conquering the people, and they set up some type of government with civic rules uh, for the society. And so you go, okay, now we have very loose definitions for monarchies, going to nation states. So what is this corporate state idea? So a corporate state is a term used to refer to an economic, political, or judicial system controlled by 
corporations or a group of corporations. So corporations form the basics uh, or the basis of a society within the state. So corporations can buy armies much like the nobles did in the feudalistic times. The nobles were providing the king or the queen or the emperor with their standing army. And so... Um, as well as they finance political campaigns. And so people kind of uh, frown upon this idea of special interest money. Hey, I'm going to run for this particular office. You can give me a couple bucks. And once I get into office, I'll pass them. I'll some, take care of you. Yeah, I'll take care of you. I'll pass you them. You scratch room. my back, I scratch yours. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So in order to control these politicians to subvert state policy. So the corporation is going to band together or a single corporation will band and it will provide money to a specific campaign. And then uh, the politician is basically in the palm of their hand going forward. And so many worry about, you know, a corporatocracy or oligarchy is replacing or soon will replace this idea of democracy. And then we'll getting, uh, you know, it's interesting because here we've never had a democracy. We have a democratic republic, republic yeah. right? So really we've had a constitutional republic. republic. And so this idea that we're, we're going to bring democracy to the world, something that we ourselves don't have, it, is, it gets into some, uh, some comical conversation. So... Um, but corporations uh, combined with NGOs will destroy the nation state. This this is uh, basically the idea because corporations again they don't have the limitations that the nation states have. They yeah. can they they can be trans uh, they're transboundary mm -hmm. um, in nature, and so um, products, goods, and services can go over different uh, regions. People want their products in their own currency and their own language, yeah. right? So. Um, and kind of just to jump ahead, just to give a, li a little bit more preview, it's unique to have the nation states because you're going to tie a lot of rights of people from that nation state to that. And then you need the nation states gone because once that nation state is gone, the rights that you give right. to the people that were at that uh, in the nation also gone. The big print giveth, the yeah. small print taketh away, right? So... And it's exactly that. They're going to use this whole idea of giving. It, so they codify your rights and they tie it to a yeah. nation state. Mm -hmm. And your nat, your quote-unquote natural rights uh, are going to be based on whatever um, nation that you're in. And when the nations get dissolved, so too do these so-called national rights that are based on that national sovereignty of whatever nation it was. Yeah, that's kind of like the big idea of that right otherwise you right. might sit and think who would see through the hassle of like planning something like that <laughs> they're yeah they don't just want to yeah. they, they're not just playing a game of jingo or something building right, something not, yeah. and then until it falls and ah, oh, let's start again yeah. right yeah yeah <laughs> and so the next piece here is like so when corporations come together pooling their resources to control economic political and judicial systems uh this is called oligarchical collectivism say so, okay um that's you know kind of a mouthful so what is what is an oligarch an oligarch is a person who is part of a, a small group holding power in a state and so the power can be in the form of nobility fame education corporate religious political or military control okay that's that's a good working definition what is collectivism Collectivism is this idea of you giving the group priority over each individual. And so when applied to a corporatocracy or the corporate state, you get this idea of a few wealthy corporations then control the political, economic, and judicial systems of that state for the benefit of a small group of corporations. And then behind that, a small group of shareholders, right? So... Uh, with with those things being said, so we have monarchies, we have uh, nation states, we have the corporate state out of the way. So what is this global state idea? Well, a global state is a single political authority for all humanity. 
right? It, it's generally entails some form of government through a single state with jurisdiction over the entire world, the entire political, economic, and judicial system of the world, usually called, and we have a couple of definitions here, uh, one world government or global government, one worldism, or more recently, cosmocracy, rulership of the world. So now that the definitions are all sorted out, um, how does all this stuff work? Right. So this is <laughs> this. It's a nice little you know, brush up on the history of it. But you know, how does it work? And so we mentioned that monarchies give rise to the nation states. The nation states then give rise to the corporate state. The corporate state then gives rise to the global state. And so, well, that's a nice little string to put together. But what is this mechanism of transformation? And so we have monarchies are destroyed by revolutions, giving rise to the nation states. Nation states are then going to be weakened by war and historically have been already. And they give rise to the legal structure of the global state under the United Nations. Um, oligarchic super corporations absorb the wealth of the nations, creating a corporate super state uh, that's able, able to surpass the limitations of all the different nation states. And then the corporate state then develops the infrastructure for the global state, the United Nations, whose legal infrastructure was birthed by weakening the, each of the nations. And so the global state then is the United Nations infrastructure with NATO, UNESCO, and all of its list of organizations that take over all the roles, responsibilities, and functions of, uh, of a nation state. And so this gets us into um, how did they actually get rid of these monarchies? Because um, it, it's the production is what this is what is birthed out of this idea of getting rid of the monarchies that is going to be used again. If it ain't broke, then <laughs> why fix it? Uh, that's going to get us back into this feudalistic fashion. So if the monarchies were really represented by this feudalistic idea, um, then something is going to get us back there. So something got us out. Something's going to get us back in. And so let's go ahead and go through here. So since monarchies represent, you know, the, the old world order under feudalism, we'll start with them. We have to understand how monarchies fell. How did, how did nation states take over for a short time? How the corporate state then dissolves the wealth of the nations while, you know, instituting this technological infrastructure or the basis for the global state? And then how the global state is nothing more than the same powers that gave you this old world order system. So you, you, earlier you said um, these guys think generations ahead. They're yeah. thinking decades ahead. They're thinking almost millennia ahead, right? So, um and so we asked the question, well, how did the monarchies then get dissolved? And so it's a simple answer through revolutions. And so uh, the, the next question, obviously, is, well, which revolutions are you referring to? Well, the Industrial Revolution plays this huge role, but, you know, something that um, that uh, w was a little bit more planned out were the American and the French Revolution. So the Industrial Revolution from 1760 to 1840 get the rise of the middle class. The American Revolution, 1765 to 1791, um, you get the rise of the second beast, if it's God, King, Father, Friend, parlance, right? Uh, the French Revolution, 17, 1789 to 1799, you get the death blow to feudalism. Uh, the first revolution... Um, was the Industrial Revolution, and you had other. You had the Agricultural Revolution. Uh, that was another huge piece. But um, why was the Industrial Revolution so important to this whole new world order concept? Well, because it created the wealth for the lower class of people, resulting in the middle class. 
And so we go from, you know, hand production methods to, you know, machines, new chemical manufacturing and iron production processes. We get the increase in the use of steam and water power, the development of machine tools, mechanized factory systems. And so you get this quantum leap in, yeah. in, in all these different industries. Now, all of a sudden, you can do stuff cheaper, faster, more efficient and a yeah. bigger scale, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's going to provide wealth for a, for a group of people that never has had this type of wealth yeah. before. And, and if we kind of, again, to jump ahead a little bit, to parallel, we see, like you said, with the AI and everything, mm -hmm. we kind of have the same exact things. We can do things on a faster, more efficient, without the kind of the head, uh, the overhead of a human being there right. too, right? The human being worker is going to be phased out. And if that's the case, then so, does, so goes his wealth. Yeah. So goes his contribution to those things which made him in the first place. And so, well, what is his only recourse is to go back to the same position that he was before the technological revolution. Peasant. Yeah, took, yeah. took place in the first place. So, And so we get this explosion in textile, ironwork, steam power, assembly lines, new chemicals, cement production, gas-powered lighting systems, glass-making, paper machines, agricultural machinery, mining machinery, transportation industry goes exponentially during this time. And so well, what does that have to do with the social-political landscape then? Well... It doesn't, everything, right? So it creates the powerful, wealthy, educated middle class. And so the people now want to participate in politics. I want to, I want to participate in my political future. And so they don't like this idea of the divine right of kings to rule that these monarchies are holding on to um, that basically puts a political um, ceiling on, on, on the middle class. And so uh, why, uh, why an industrial revolution first? Well, we get, you know, you create and empower a middle class of citizens that you turn peasants into merchants. You know, being wealthier meant that they can now pay for educating themselves and then their children, their offspring. And then what are they going to do? So as they gain more wealth and knowledge, they eat better, they live longer, they mm -hmm. have access to better medical treatment. And they can, t they can now pass down this wealth generationally. Yeah. And so... Um, uh, exponentially we're, we're gonna see like the growth in population too in uh yeah. more middle class uh, uh, population more people like you said now having better education mm -hmm. uh living longer and wanting to participate in their uh political future, political future. Yeah. yeah and so now um you get this idea that you know yes they're, they're they're making this money they're passing this money down generationally and as the middle class population grows they produce more offspring more frequently they outnumber the kings the lords the nobles the vassals and the professional soldiers and so um well since there are more of them and they become wealthier they naturally want to have this uh, participation in their political future and they're not going to hear this idea of like i can't participate because um of this divine right of kings to rule like uh, that has to go right? yeah. gonzo as we mentioned before mm -hmm. and so uh and those things are based on you know the idea was some obscure bloodline that the peasants didn't even you know uh, what, what does that you even had no mean? chance to right yeah right and so the divine right of kings to rule stuff we cover in the you know the mystery religion aspect of the civilian podcast and so um you get this the next idea is that they can now leverage the, the this group this new newly created group can now leverage their wealth individually and collectively against the king his nobleman and his aristocracy yeah. and so if you guys don't want to participate with us then we can just like your nobles we can hire professional soldiers yeah. and, and if you don't uh, want to go along with this and then there's other people in the other kingdoms that are also able to have access to you know the industrial revolution and they're becoming more wealthy too so yeah. you're gonna you know the writing is now on the wall for a monarchy's 
Yeah. It's almost so that's kind of like the early stages of oligarchy too, right? That would just uh, uh, oligar- oligarchical collectivism. Right, yeah. Now all of a sudden you have this richer people getting together there and trying go. to yeah uh, over <laughs> power or try to push their narrative to yeah. whatever they want. So you, you think about it, it's the corporations now that are in, like Visa saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna the, your card no longer works in this area." We can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so well before a, a nation state never had that power, and so you have this idea of like the corporations are now wielding an immense power that the the nation states never had in their back pocket and so well the kings that lasted the longest they were smart you know they partnered with this new class you know in a joint measure in in like business or commerce um and those that didn't these are the sellouts what we would call right yeah but so those that didn't they they, they perished yeah and so th- well, it's interesting because according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, this is exactly what happened, right? So a lot of the quotes that we just you know, just yank straight out of there. So uh, one of them goes like this. The, the increase in numerous and prosperous elite of uh, wealthy commoners, merchants, manufacturers, and professionals often called the bourgeoisie aspired to political power in those countries where they did not already possess it. These quote-unquote peasants now... Um, many of whom owned land had attained a couple of things, um, an improved standard of living, an improved education, and wanted to get rid of the last vestiges of feudalism. They don't like this stuff at all, right? You mean to tell me <laughs> I can't <laughs> participate? In, nah, we don't want right. to hear that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so as to acquire the full rights of landowners and mm-hmm. you know and to be free to increase their holdings hey uh, we don't want to let go of this newfound wealth we're, we're and, and we don't want you to put a ceiling on it either and so well further down it says um, furthermore uh, from about 1730 higher standards of living had reduced the mortality rate among adults considerably oh so now this population, is starting to grow. Yeah, so that's the better food, better health, and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. And so, well, what did that do? You get a population boom. And so this, as it says in the Britannica, uh, had led to an increase in the population of Europe at an unprecedented level for centuries. It doubled between 1715 and the 1800s. For France, which uh, with its 26 million inhabitants uh, in 1789, was the most populated country of Europe. The problem was most acute. So, the, uh, so a growing population, population is a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, but it, you know, there's other things that are attached. Yeah. So they're growing, they're educated, they're wealthy, they're passing their wealth down, they're educating their children to do the exact same thing. And so, well, it says the problem was the most acute. So well, what problem are they talking about? We'll let them tell it. A large population created a greater demand for food and consumer goods. Oh, it's the food and consumer goods, guys. It's not the fact that uh, you're going to be rivals to political power and you're going to want to participate in your political future. Um, the land really can't sustain us, guys. Since it's uh, food shortages, you know, what we're going to do about this. Oh, you know? it's interesting that you mentioned that, right? Because that's going to be another piece that comes up here. Um, we had, we had a side note that we'll, we'll skip, uh, for, um, just for, I don't know, for now, but it's a story of how, you know, the, the Rothschilds gained their, their wealth, right? So, um, we, we'll come back to it way yeah. later because it's, it's important way later, but not now. Um, so, so then we asked the question, well, well, then what happened now? Um, these large populations of people are now, they're more wealthy, they're more healthy, they're more educated. 
And, this and is, there's 26 million of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so this puts a strain on kings and queens to maintain stability within their kingdoms. And so this was evident in the French Revolution. According to the Britannica, um, here's an order in which things are claimed to have happened uh, in, in, in which the transformation takes place in France. And so, number one, the bourgeoisie resented its exclusion from political power and positions of honor. Right. Number two, the peasants were uh, acutely aware of their situation or were less willing to support this anachristic or burdensome feudalistic system. Like We don't like it. We're not going back to it. Never again. Number three, social reform. You get these philosophies had been read more widely in France more than anywhere else. And we'll get into what those philosophies uh, were and are because uh, they're still alive and well today. Uh, number four, uh, French participation in the American Revolution had driven the government to the brink of bankruptcy. Uh, that's that's an intro. This is what um, the United States yeah. is doing today. It's like again, if we foreshadow and bring it back, <laughs> we we can see that that the same exact thing is happening to America. Right, yeah. right, yeah. History is repeating, um, but not blindly. It's yeah. it's being engineered this way, right? So, uh, number five, France was the most populous country in Europe, and crop failures and much. And we're, oh, we have this problem, right? So, guys, you know, you, there's this population that's growing, and all of a sudden, you get these crop failures in much of the country in 1788, uh, coming to the top of a long period of economic difficulties. Hey, what you know, in 2008, the, the the crash, and now uh, all the food shortages mm-hmm. are popping up. All of a sudden, farms are catching on fire. What, what, what's happening here? The same things that happened back then. They're the same things that are. Putin did it back oh, then. Yeah, Putin yeah. did it this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. We want to stay monetized. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. And so the long period of economic difficulties compounded existing relentlessness. And number six, the French monarchy no longer seen as divinely ordained. Oh, yeah, this divine right of kings thing has to go. And was unable to adapt to the political and social pressures that were being exerted upon it. And so um, at this time, we have some intellectual heavyweights that are weighing in. Uh, They had laid the groundwork for revolution. And these guys are extremely important to uh, actually what's happening behind the scenes. The the French Revolution is not like a, it's not happening in a vacuum. There's other interests that are there other than the people of France. Um, (laughs) So so specifically, you you look at um, things that are taking root uh, in in the fertile intellectual minds in France. So according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, um, major reform arguments were being advanced. And you say, well, what were those? It says, the philosophies, intellectuals whose writings inspired these arguments were certainly influenced by the 17th century theorists. Um, Well, which intellectual writings are you talking about? So these are the writings of Rene Descartes, who's a French philosopher, uh, Benedict de Spinoza, who's a Dutch philosopher, John Locke, who's an English philosopher. And and this is in the 16th and 1700s combined. So well, that's nice, but which arguments did these guys advance? Well, uh, they and a handful of philosophers had proposed the idea that a revolution seemed necessary to apply the ideas of uh, Montesquieu. Who is Montesquieu? Well, he's a French judge and political philosopher who advocated for the separation of powers of government so that you know no one branch would have all of this power consolidated. So he, uh, he wanted three branches of government. You should have legislative, executive, and judicial. And so then you get Voltaire. Voltaire then comes in. He's a Jesuit French historian and philosopher. He, he has the advocacy for the freedom of speech, for the freedom of religion, and for the separation of church and state. So the next piece is going to be Rousseau. He's a Genevan philosopher. 
And he, he gives us this idea of like supreme power is held by the people and their elected representatives. Get off of this divine right of kings to rule. Give the people the power to rule. The sovereignty should lie in them. And so, yeah, so now we see checks and balances, the constitutional go. rights of like freedom of speech, religion, and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And then the whole we the people uh, idea, right? Yeah, yep. the Bill of Rights and everything. Mm-hmm. And so just the, the, a little cheat is uh, this this idea was to, you know, to temporarily give the people the power uh, and tie their, their political power to nation states. And so your rights would be given to you from the nation, the, the sovereign states. And if we dissolve the national sovereignty of each of these nations, then so do go your rights. They'll equally be dissolved. But don't worry, we'll have something else that we're prepared uh, to put you into. And you'll be a world citizen once these nation states are dissolved. And so, and then this... And you, you'll own nothing, but you'll be happy. Don't yeah, worry about yeah, it. Yeah. You'll, and so, again, that's that's not a, you know, they're not asking you, like, hey, yeah. you know, forfeit your... No, they're uh-huh. telling you, we're, we're going to own everything. You'll yeah. own nothing, but you'll be happy, right? So It's you, interesting that, like you said, so peasants back then, they're fighting for their right to own stuff to be happy right yeah it's like hey i want to be able to own my property and all that stuff you know mm -hmm. and now we're gonna all take that away but you'll be happier than the peasant when you got all that stuff so don't worry about it so you say we come full circle right so that's that's a good catch right so of course these people saw that wait a minute if you own nothing you know (laughs) uh, it's gonna be hard to be happy right because now there's always these these hoops that you have to jump through to get whatever it is that you need uh, but if you're the owner, it's it's a lot easier. Yeah. And so now... Um, if you own nothing, you always depend on somebody. Right. So yeah. the, you have the multiple layers of, of, of dependencies, right? So... So this this time period this this enlightenment was the spread of the you know among the educated class of the societies through um, uh, a whole bunch of interesting places. So you, so these ideas are being spread in like Masonic lodges and agricultural societies and reading rooms. And so we mentioned the enlightenment. So what was the enlightenment? Because this is this is an important piece of it's the age of. Um, reason or the, the enlightenment is called the age of reason which was an intellectual and philosophical movement that dominated europe in 17th and 18th centuries the enlightenment included a range of personalities and ideas that put forth philosophies in uh, many different theoreticians that were fighting over various ideas right so what is the value of human happiness what is the pursuit of, of knowledge based on this idea of reason and you get all these ideals that pop out like liberty progress toleration fraternity constitutional government and separation of church and state that was a, a, a that last one there or the last two actually is why they're underlined they're um they're very important in all of yeah. this uh, stuff that's kind of beginning right yeah that's when you you will start you tearing everything right uh, it's gonna start this once is, you, this is yeah. solve coagula exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just like uh, so we started with the monarchies and stuff like that too before that it was the theocracies and all that stuff too yeah. right maybe we'll get into those when the god king father friend yep so uh, when uh, when they come, the revolutions not only put away the uh, feudalism and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. also the old, well, like the old, old world order, yes. right? Yes. Which is the uh, theocracy and then still people having their moralities and everything tied to something bigger than just another man. You know? Right, right. And so, well, that aspect of it. So there's a reason why the monarchies had the divine right of kings to rule it all. And so that is going to be a, an important piece with the mystery religions because those ideas are, are you know, I think... Um, 
one of the most important pieces because if, I think we mentioned before that if um, if all this stuff is kind of like a if, if it's a coloring book then the, this is kind of like a sketch the mystery religion stuff adds all the color to everything right you know the, the shadows and the color that the image will really pop off the screen once you add all the mystery religion stuff because it provides the ideologies that are behind what, what's driving these people to do these things when they have so much power already, when they have so much money already, why why are they doing what they're doing? And and that's a, a very interesting piece. Um, at least we find it um, very yeah. interesting. Right? Um, and so now you get the, the all of this stuff leads to what's known as a century of revolutions. And so 1750 to 1850, you get the Industrial Revolution. 1760, you get a middle class. The American Revolution, 1776, you get a constitutional republic. French Revolution 1789, you get the end of the monarchy in France. And as you keep going, Spanish Revolution, Polish Revolution, Italian and German revolutions. And so 1775 and, 70, and, and 1773, you get the American Revolution. You get 13 of Great Britain's North American colonies. They, well, they, they throw off uh, this rule uh, to establish the, the sovereign United States in 1776 and so 1787 to 1799 you get the french revolution that put an end to the french monarchy feudalism and took uh, political power from the catholic church and so that's another important piece that, that we, we need to get into a little bit later and so the question now becomes well what did the french revolution produce well out of the french revolution you get the declaration of the rights of man and of the citizen this is 1789 and then which produced 17 natural rights uh, then later you get what's known as the declaration of rights of man of the citizen of 1793 and you ask the question well, well what were these rights that come out and all of this stuff is going to sound really familiar as we read through them right so well in 1789 the declaration you get men are born and remain free and equal in rights Hey, every man's endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That, that, that sounds familiar. Uh, number two, these rights uh, are liberty, property, security, and resistance to oppression. Right. Number three, the principle of all sovereignty resides essentially in the nation. Like, oh, we we don't get this is when they take everything away, right? Yeah, <laughs> like we talked, uh, like we talked about. Yeah, the big print give it, the, the small, small print, print give it away. Yeah, take it away. Take yeah. it away. Yeah. So now you have, hey, look at you. You have all this right. You can, you know, you have this uh, um, right to secure, uh, you know, to pr have property, to mm -hmm. secure it, to be happy, and all that stuff. But you know, it's it's tied right to this nation because then later on we know yeah. we can take their nation away and take those rights exactly. right away. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So the the fourth one, right? Liberty consists in the freedom to do everything which injures no one, right? And number five, law only prohibits such actions that are hurtful to society. And so th these are you know, if you can go through all of them here, we'll skip down. And so we'll ask another question. Why is, why is any of this stuff significant? Well, it provided the basis for the Bill of Rights and the constitutional governments all over the world. Um, these were not only uh, the core values of the French Revolution, but they had major impact on popular conceptions of individual liberty, democracy in Europe and worldwide. And so well, what did that establish? And so we look at it, it established that you know, man has natural rights that are universal they're valid at all times and all places protected equally by the law well um what were these new natural rights based on if we go back at uh, number three the nation is essentially the source of all sovereignty nor can there any individual or any body of men be entitled to any authority which is not expressly derived from it that's in 1789 
And so in 1793, uh, we get another version, and it basically the same applies. And so it says, number 23, this guarantee rests upon national sovereignty. Number 25, the sovereignty resides in the people. Uh, 27, let any person who may usurp uh, the sovereignty be instantly put to death by free men. And so you go, okay, so we've been given these new rights, um, and you know, nations are being birthed all over the world. Uh, on these ideas, um, but we've tied all these rights to the nations mm-hmm. themselves. And so uh, the next question is, what happens when these nations are dissolved? This gets us into the next piece. Well, when the nations are dissolved, so too will all these so-called national or natural rights. Um, it's interesting because, you know, the actual image that was created to represent the rights mimicked the law of Moses being handed down, right? So maybe... Uh, maybe in you know post production we'll add an image of, of what that looks like and so instead of Yahweh the the God of Israel um, you have another God and what that's going to represent later is we'll come to find out looking at some of the sources will be Lucifer I, yeah I think we showed in uh, which one was it Coming to version two where yeah, yeah. we showed the image yeah yeah so but yeah we'll we'll probably edit here too right and so there's a whole bunch of uh, esoteric and exoteric uh, exoteric stuff that's on there. And so basically, you know, um, that's the two doctrine policy. There's a, a doctrine for or a set of beliefs for like those that are uh, on, on, in the inner circle and then another set or another policy for those that are on the outside. And so on this uh, document, we'll see that, you know, a pyramid or the all-seeing eye. We'll see um, the Roman fasciae, you know, it, 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 the same one that we have in the, the in the U.S. Uh, uh, House of Representatives. Yeah. And so and that one that's on there has a spearhead with a, a red Phrygian cap that's pointed out. And so that Phrygian hat is also known as the Jacobean hat. It's worn by Roman or emancipated slaves from Roman times. Um, it's also known as the red cap of liberty. And so you also see what's known as the, the Ouroboros or the snake that eats its own tail. Uh, uh, what they would say on the outward uh, or the exoteric doctrine is um, fertility, life, death, and rebirth, that idea, uh, but has a completely different uh, esoteric meaning. Um, this brings us to phase two, right? So we've gone through all of that, you know, so now we've covered the monarchies, uh, they're dying off, well, we get these nation state things that are based on rights. And so phase two. So phase two, once monarchies have been destroyed and supplanted with constitutional republics supported by the middle class under the guise of empowering the people, then you use the prevailing system, capitalism, free markets, to galvanize and consolidate the wealth of the entire world and strengthen. You don't want to strengthen every nation. You just want to strengthen a handful of nations, as they would say, the first world nations. Right. So it's funny because, you know, all the countries that have all the, the resources are. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they would say that these are poor nations. You don't go to poor nations to get rich. Yeah. Right? So um, they're not poor. Um they're being subjugated, right? Uh-huh. So um, you get this idea that nations themselves will gradually then be converted into the corporate state because yeah. they've now galvanized all this wealth. Without the wealth, you can call yourself a state all, all you want. So we it really see, means nothing. We see kind of like the, the classism when it comes to like in the nation states, so, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, you have this natural resources, but all you do is just serve us with your natural resources, right? There you go. We'll print some paper, we'll give it to you for it, you know, but we want your uh, natural yep. resources. Yeah, yeah 100%, yeah. right? Yep. <laughs> And so uh, we, we remember we provided the working definitions for nation state and the corporate state. So um, the failure of democracies or democratic republics to provide or to bring about peace, uh, they say this caused, you know, World War One, World War Two, and eventually it's going to cause World War Three. Um, and the disregard for the planet, that's a big piece because that's going to dovetail on all, all the climate change stuff. 
will bring about the third and final phase of this, uh, which they call uh, this New World Order thing, uh, where you get a single unelected body uh, like the Vatican, you know, uh, the, the, the spiritual uh, power uh, puppeting everything through the temporal power, political power, the United Nations, will be the final world ruling power via corporations, think tanks, institutions, international agreements under what we call the Great Consolidation. And so now, if we've mentioned it a couple times now, yeah. what is the Great Consolidation? And so the Great Consolidation, again, is the term that we're using you know, to refer to the old world order being turned into the new world order system, um, in which uh, later becomes the new world order 2.0. And, and they're going to go. To, they're going to consolidate all nation states or national constitutions under UN charters by dissolving national sovereignty. They're going to consolidate all wealth through phony crises like 119, the different bombings, and you know Divic 91. Uh, they're going to consolidate languages. English is the lingua franca or the common business language of the world, just like Akkadian in the ancient times was the international language of correspondence. Then they're going to consolidate currencies. Say goodbye. <laughs> say goodbye to coin and cash currencies. Um, and you're going to get this one world currency, consolidate energy resources under this idea of climate change, laws that would be regulated by the United Nations, consolidate media. I think, you know, that nothing needs to be said there. We mm. kind of, every, <laughs> everybody knows that one. We know that's never possible. So right, that's right. why we didn't put anything there. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a reason why all these uh, mega corporations or mega media corporations yeah. or CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, um, uh, corporate sponsors. And that's going to be a huge piece because understanding the, the background mm -hmm. on how the CFR became an intricate part of all the media corporations and consolidated them. Yeah. Um, and that, you need something to do control uh, to control that position with, you know, whether it's like if, uh, you know, if it's Fox News or CNN, come yeah. to find out they're just under the same company or two at, sides of the for, same court. Yeah, for the very least, you'll have the same exact like Vanguard or BlackRock owning yeah. majority of it. Yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. So again, you can, uh, elect which one you want to watch but you don't select it right they're yeah, still going to tell you say, what they're going to show you you yeah. never elected a president yeah. you, you, you may have elected a president but you've never selected, selected one. one yeah and so you know um and this gets us to the next piece consolidate the religions you know climate change earth gaia worship sunday law the blue laws pantheism or all is god um we'll unpack a lot of this stuff in the mystery religion aspect because um, with that, we're going to go all the way back. Um, we'll cover some Atlantean stuff or, you know, ancient Ugarit, um, Sumer, the Anunnaki, the Apkalu, all that stuff in the mystery religion aspect, because that's where that's the, the, the birth of the divine right of kings stuff comes from. Uh, the next piece is the consolidation of all biological, chemical, and nuclear weapons arsenals. Get them out of the hands of the nation states and into the hands of the unelected global governing bodies. You're going to consolidate law with national constitutions being dissolved. International law prevails. And so the International Court of Justice will be the de facto world court. Um, and, and so now we get to once everything is consolidated, um, now they have control at different levels. And so Anthony Sutton in his book, um, America's Secret Establishment, uh, talks about, you know, the control and manipulate the society. You need control over different aspects of the society. And so he, he gives a bulletized list. He says, education, you need to control how people of the future will behave. And you do that by controlling what they know. Um, you need to control money. You know, this is the means of holding wealth and exchanging goods. You should have control over that as well. And then you need law, the ability to enforce the will of the state, the world law or the world court. Uh, the next piece is politics, the direction of the state or the economy. The next would be history. Uh, what people believed happened in the past. And then the next is psychology, the means of controlling how people think right now. 
The next piece is medicine, the power over health, life, and death. The next piece is religion. What are people's spiritual beliefs? What are they, the ultimate destiny lies with themselves and with humanity? The next piece is media. What people know and learn about current events. If I can keep you blind from those things, you're kind of cut off from this whole aspect. And then continuity, the power to appoint who follows in your footsteps. It doesn't no good if you just are able to do it for your lifetime. You go back to zero. But if you can continue this thing to go generation after generation after generation, now you're 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 really wielding some power. And so now that's uh, Cecil Rhodes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so, you know, when you look at it, you go, when do, when do we really get started with this transformation? Uh, when do we start seeing it happen? So the transformation began to take place during the First World War. And so what it, this is, you know, we're specifically kind of referencing the roundtable groups here because they were instrumental in all these behind-the-scenes uh, type things that kind of led up to yeah. the historic ideas of what led to World War One. Yeah, they World were doing businesses in USSR and all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, so. and so that's, you know, so you get this out idea that the transformation began to take place in the, the first world war which you know was to overthrow the powers of the czars in russia and in turn uh that country into a stronghold for atheistic communism and so th- there was a long-standing plan to do that that kind of a lot of those writings are going to be traced back to masonic sources and and that's covered in the mystery religion stuff um and so the next piece will be, you know, um, Gary H. Ka in his book, In uh, Route to Global Occupation, page 118, says, uh, What could have been the, mo- the reasoning behind Freemasonry, uh, Freemasonry's creation? Uh, actually, it was the creation of the Jesuits, um, uh, of the ruthless dict- dictatorial power. And he's going to be speaking of uh, uh, Russia. <laughs> right? So he uh, goes, what were the Jesuits aiming? Cre- uh, so this is me. What were they, the Jesuits aiming? Creation of communism and the most, uh, or the Masonic founding of the USSR. And so the cop provides the answer. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, um, steer some people to him. So um, if the role of the United States was to lead uh, us into the New World Order, then Russia's role was was no less important or being no less important was to apply the pressure that would make it all possible. The same type of thing that we're seeing today yeah. is the same type of things that they've, they've uh, planned to do way back in the day. And so there needed to be a, a good cop, bad cop, uh, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, problem, reaction, solution at play. And so he continues, Humanity's, uh, humanity first had to become convinced that the need of, of, of such a governing body, like like what? Like, um, like a world government? Yeah, that type of body. And so the conditions had to be created whereby the people would accept this as an alternative. So you're, are you going to be willing to give up some of the sovereignty? I mean... Uh, at least do it in the name of, of peace. At mm. least do it in the name of the environment. I mean, we already heard that when it comes to for the greater good, right? Um, yeah. Your sovereignty to um, to decide what you want to inject into your body, and if that's just gonna, you know, save uh, one one life, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it it's a small price to pay yeah. to give up a little bit of sovereignty yeah. for the greater good of the humanity. Yeah. And so, uh, so they need to create a phony crisis and a, and a phony war or a phony enemy. The phony enemy was, you know, communism embedded in the USSR, and the phony, um, the phonier engineered crisis was the war itself. And so, that's not to say that you know there wasn't a reward that the people didn't really die. Um, uh, it, it's to say that the whole thing was contrived, it was engineered, and and so the historical narrative that you were kind of or that I was kind of <laughs> um, won't hold up uh, after some scrutiny, and so. He continues and says, the world could somehow only be convinced that nations were responsible for war and that peace could only be achieved if nationalism 
uh, sovereign nations uh, were eliminated. Then perhaps humanity would finally arrive at a point of accepting a one world authority. And so, well, what would you need to do to make that happen? Um, it seems like it's difficult to do, he, he says. In order to lead mankind into in this conclusion, uh, however, uh, wars would have to be created, sparked and fanned into existence by, acting, by acts of terrorism and military aggression. Um, he, he continues, page 119, almost without exception, the USSR was the main perpetrator. Uh, the constant strife and fear that a conflict somewhere could escalate into nuclear war has played on people's minds psychologically, wearing <laughs> them down. Right? I can't hold my laughter. <laughs> it's like uh, somebody, uh, it's like you can turn on, I don't know, CNN right now or right. any other one. I'm just making, uh, saying CNN because, you know, just uh, funny, but. <laughs> this is what you would hear, you know, exactly. yeah. yep. the nuclear threat, Russia is the perpetrator, Yep. and then the whole nine yards. Yep. So, so nothing's changed, right? And so uh, what is this, um, it says consent here, but what is the constant fear playing on people's minds, psychologically breaking them down do? What does this thing do? Well, uh, he, he continues, he says, uh, it has caused them to desire world peace more than anything else. Now, suppose that some time in the future, a final conflict precipitated, say in Europe uh, or the Middle East, and the superpowers are intentionally drawn into it. Uh, what if one of the powers was destroyed as a result, and an additional destruction occurring elsewhere in the world? Humanity would be awestruck and overwhelmed by such destruction. Well, what would happen next? Well, the people would be prepared at that point, uh, the quote goes, to accept a proposed one-world government with, which promises to prevent such a tragedy from ever occurring again, right? So that was the whole idea behind the Great Depression, right? So we yeah. need a Federal Reserve, um, which again is not federal. So people have no to reserves. go hungry. There has to be like this shortage of food. There has to be like people don't have jobs. They're not making money and all that stuff. Then, hey, we'll make sure we'll put a body there that will control and this will never happen. Problem, reaction, solution. solution. Yeah. Yeah, same stuff. So that being said, like you said, people will die, right? It is going right. to be, yeah, it's not going to be pretty. And, and so w w so this is what, what happens, right? So when people look around and they see real people dying, yeah. they automatically, now the narrative gets solidified in their mind. What they were like, so with the, the outbreak thing, when, when people thought that that was the case, that solidified the narrative in their yeah. mind, right? Um, and once you're emotionally attached to something like that there's nothing there's no evidence you can bring it to uh to that person to uh, show that hey listen even even though years later like two years later now you have and well these numbers are kind of like you know like anybody that came in was a case of whatever the, the, right, yeah. the name is right and yeah. uh but even then you know we hear people now saying even though there's no mass mandates i'm still gonna wear it Right. Well, I mean, you can do what you want to do. Nobody's saying something, but clearly there's nothing behind that. Like, if you trust the science, right. now your science is saying <laughs> that, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so now he, he, the, the quote continues as um, we say, like, what would these people kind of do, right? So, well, they would be convinced that nations cause wars and, and they would be disillusioned by the needless loss of life resulting in such wars. The people of the world would finally be willing to surrender their national sovereignty to a higher authority, claiming the ability to protect them from one another, right? And so we, we see a kind of like a nice uh, parallel with what's happening today. Um, 
Yeah, we'll we'll just continue because I don't want to get into to yeah, flagging maybe. territory uh, or the good. <laughs> so uh, this was the plan from the beginning, right? So the same guys behind the scenes that start the phony wars are the same guys that are calling for world government. We see that same idea with the with the outbreak people, right? So the same people that declare it are the same people that say we need to keep doing it are the same people that are the benefactors of it, and it's the same idea. So. Um, uh, so, to that point, right? The person that was the champion of we need to do it disappeared all of a sudden, right? right it's yeah. like, what, two, three months? You can't find yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. This is a textbook problem, reaction, solution scenario, right? So, um, for, for world government, it goes something like this, right? So, problem competition between sovereign nation states creates needless wars. Reaction let's all um, get along and work together and get rid of competition. Well, to do that, what do you got to do? A solution. You put a world government in its place where there's no more war by dissolving sovereign nations so that there's no more competition. And so it's the the Rodney King. Can't we all just get along? And if we can get along, then we can unite. If we can unite in the God King Father Friend sense, this is you know the United Nations is the the concept of the Tower of Babel in in, in the Old Testament, right? And so and today we see the EU Parliament building that's, that's reconstructed as a half built uh, Tower of Babel, right? So maybe we'll put that image uh, in, in the overlay in the mm-hmm. post production. So. So this idea of this 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 reaction solves the problem, but the solution solves the reaction, right? So these these guys are smart; they know what they're doing. And just like that, you have the implementation of a world government authority over all the nations of the world. And so the question is, well, what are we actually seeing today? So same story, different day. Bad Russia invades. Uh, um, this other place provoking NATO and U.S. response, threats of nuclear war as a deterrent um, for anyone that's willing to get in the way of the, the bad Russians. And so we have an artificial supply chain disruption, the purposeful blocking of the different canals that, that, that the supply chain depends on, uh, of, of DIVIC-91, this lockdown restriction business thing that's, that was planned. Uh, food uh, shortages. Food uh, shortages. Yeah, the uh, borrowing of all the money to, to, to as uh, Robert Welsh would say the you're siphoning off all this mm-hmm. money uh, to you're destroying the wealth of that nation. Yeah, the dollar being under um, uh, threat right now, right. like being uh, oil being sold uh, in a different currency. In a different currency. Yeah. yeah, this is known as a theocracy, right? But and who's carrying it out? The Plutarchs are carrying it out under oligarchical collectivism, giving all this money to these corporations of which the citizenry see none. And neither do the citizenry have the ability to hold these guys accountable, right? Um, and so now we have the, you know, the, the idea of the trucker convoys, you know, further disrupting the supply chain. And so anytime you see a, a revolution, as Bezmanov would say, you know, like, you know, I, you know we, we would look at these things as like, yeah, the, the convoys are kind of like revolutionary in a sense. Uh, but anytime you see these type of things, as Bezmanov would say, like, no revolution is grassroots. These things have to be financed. And so, and no, they're not financed by, you know, like, um, you know, citizens donating money here and there, even though that those sound like large amounts, they pale in comparison to what the impact is on the economy. And these are good things that these people people are doing yeah. it. they need to be applauded for doing it but there's uh, behind the scenes what is going on so it's it's further disruption of the supply chain yeah and this is why you would want to lead something like this thesis antithesis synthesis right so the at prob- the end of the day that uh, the supply chain was disrupted right then that's the yeah. angle right so because now you're going to use that as another catalyst mm-hmm. uh, to do something else that, that we'll get into yeah. right? so and so now this is going to kind of get us into um 
this idea of phase three, right? So uh, all these engineered crises, where is it all leading? Uh, the next phase, of course, is phase three, the corporate state. And so nation states are already uh, you know, on the out. Um, there's some good quotes about that. So uh, in the Boston Herald in America, um, uh, you know, it's August 4th, 1976, says the old framework of international uh, politics with their uh, spheres of influence, their military alliances between nation states, the friction, uh, the fiction of sovereignty, doctrinal conflicts arising from 19th century crisis is clearly no longer compatible with reality. Man, this is in 1976. Um, the, the nation state is a fundamental union of man's organized life has created uh, has ceased to be the principal creative force. International banks and multinational corporations are acting and planning in terms that are far in advance of the, the political concepts of the nation states. And so, you know, astute people at the time making observations about what's going on. And so you get this idea of like the new era of international banking and finance manuscript copy, uh, Bank of America, NT and SA, San Francisco, 1970 says, in the coming 25 years, we can expect a shift from influence by the nation state to a new and growing influence by private, profit-motivated entrepreneurial organizations and supranational economic institutions, which together can surmount uh, present structures of limited geography. Well, that's what the nation states have, uh, or limited and often unrealistic political programs of single nation states. They already know that they're on the out. The, the nation states are looked at as old dinosaurs. Yeah. They need to die. They need an extinction level event to get them out of there, so that we can go ahead and move in with the yeah. The and, yeah exactly right. So anything else that needs to die with that, uh, with the nation states, they'll tie all that to that, and yeah. then they just kill them off everything, right? Yes. So whether it's like like you said, if it's like the dollar system, and then the mm -hmm. whole coin and everything, and then something new will come out of the that family unit, the family unit, yeah. all that will tie into that, and then that's it, gone. Yes. Um, meteor it would hit and then boom <laughs> two years then we all forget yes. yeah yes yep <laughs> it's gonna be just us sitting good back in that back in my day yeah right yeah. yeah and so now you get you know richard j uh babbitt and ronald muller global research page 14 says for business purposes the boundaries that separate one nation from another are no more real than the equator wow uh, they are merely convenient uh, demarcations of ethnic, linguistic, and cultural entities. They do not define business requirements or consume or consumer trends. Once management understands and accepts this world economy, um, its view of the marketplace and its planning necessarily expands. Well, what else do you have to say? Page 15, he notes, The rise of the planetary enterprise is producing an organizational revolution. Oh no, another revolution? As profound, <laughs> as profound in its implications for modern man as the Industrial Revolution and the rise of the nation-state itself. No, he no. said it. Yeah. <laughs> he said it, right? Yeah. He continued, this is, this is a gold mine, so uh -huh. he continues, if we compare the annual sales corporations of the gross national product of countries from 1973, we discover that GM, General Motors, is bigger than Switzerland, Pakistan, and South Africa. Uh, the Royal Dutch Shell is bigger than Iran, Venezuela, and Turkey, and that Goodyear Tire is bigger than Saudi Arabia. The average growth rate of the most successful global corporations is two to three times that of the most advanced industrial countries, including the United States. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
Even the big boy United States himself. Gonzo, right? Yeah. So now this next piece, right? So this was before the rise of Amazon, Apple, and Google, right? So you imagine power and reach of the corporation compared to the GDP of these countries, uh, but we can continue. He says, um, to those who question power, corporate statesmen like to point out that, like the Pope, they have no divisions at their, their at their command. The source of their extraordinary uh, power are to be found elsewhere. The power is to transform the world political economy, and in doing so, transform the historic role of the nation state. Oh, so they're going to redefine and redistribute the role of the nation state. And we know that it's going to ultimately end up in the garbage yeah. can. <laughs> but they have and to talk nice show, about yeah, it yeah, yeah. while they're doing it. <laughs> yeah. He says, in the process of developing a new world, look at all the buzzwords, they're all here. Uh, the managers, well, managers of firms like GM, IBM, PepsiCo, GE, Pfizer, Shell, Volkswagen, Exxon, and a few hundred others are making daily business decisions which have more impact than those of most sovereign governments. There you go. They said it, the, the, the silent part out loud. Yep. And so, you know, where people live, what they work, uh, where they work, if any, um, what they will do, what they will eat, what they will drink, where, what, what sorts of knowledge uh, schools and universities will, they, will they, they encourage. And like you said, this is before these technological uh, <laughs> companies that where we willingly give, willingly give that information, right? Uh -huh. uh, Facebook probably knows me better than I do. Yeah, know? so that's Yuval Harari. That's yeah. what he says, the guy that, uh, that, that gave the speech at the, United, or the World Economic Forum, right? So... Um, well, he's in here too. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. When yeah. when they say you'll own nothing, they literally mean nothing. Yes, right? yeah. yes. But it, it is specifically because they know more about you than you know about yourself. Exactly. That's the reason mm -hmm. that they give, right? And so, and and the, to finish this off, um, and what kind of society their children will inherit? Now, you remember that list that uh, uh, was given to us, right? So, what they need uh, to to be able to affect all that all those bullet points. Yeah. And so, the uh, the children are a, a very important peace in all this because they're going to be the inheritors of all of this stuff. And so um, the next piece, he says, the managers of the global corporations are seeking to put into practice a theory of hum human organization that will profoundly alter the nation state system uh, around the society has been organized for over 400 years. What they are, or what they are demanding, in essence, is the right to transcend the nation state and in the process to transform it. What are they going to transform it into? So uh, what's the next phase? So the next phase is the corporate state, obviously, right? So as we continue the quote, uh, fueled by the explosive expansion of international trade, travel, and communications, the power of the nation state is being diminished drastically, significantly reducing the politician's role as a minor power broker. Wow. However, leaders in international business, finance, and the defense industry, remember we, the, the mm -hmm. military industrial complex, uh, not only dominate the super class, but they also move more freely into high positions in the government of a nation state. And then back to private life, largely unnoticed by the elected officials. We it, talked about Halliburton, the communist version one, right? Yeah, yeah. so Dick Cheney, uh, the Clintons, all, all of those guys, yeah. right? So, um, yeah, and their Council on Foreign Relations members, and uh, they're members of other groups of the roundtables as well. And so to finish off the quote, it says, which remain abysmally ignorant of the affairs outside their scope. 
And so do you think this would apply to our current leadership as well? Or? Uh, yeah, even even more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And so you know, if we continue here, in this way, the corporate state arises um, uh, like a termite, should be like a termite, eating away the power of the nation state from within. And so remember, we define the corporate state as a powerful corporation uh, or, or groups of corporations that control economic, political, and judicial systems of constitutional republics, monarchies, or democracies. And so how do they control these republics, monarchies, and democracies? Well, they by, by transcending the natural boundaries of nation states through global business. Uh, they can either do this uh, individually or by pooling their resources together, gaining the economic, political, and judicial uh, power. Uh, within a nation state. And so we said previously that uh, the corporations form the basis of the society within a state. The corporations can exist as their own persons and can buy armies much like the nobles did in the feudalistic times, uh, as well as uh, finance political campaigns in order to control politicians to subvert state policy by favorable laws and regulations. Many worry that a corporatocracy or an oligarchy is replacing or soon will replace a democracy. Yeah, I think we've um, kind of covered that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, we don't have democracy, but yeah. <laughs> right, right. It will, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. So, uh, so, so we also said uh, when corporations come together pooling their resources to control the economic, political, and judicial uh, systems within a state, it's called oligarchical collectivism. And so the oligarchs get together collectively uh, to control the economic, political, and judicial systems of the state. So now we get to, you know, John Coleman in his book, World One World Order, Socialist Dictatorship. He, he quotes um, Richard Gardner in the Council on Foreign Relations CFR Journal of Foreign Affairs, April 1974, uh, issue. It says, um, we will build the new world order piece by piece right under their noses, meaning the American people. Yeah. Uh, the house of the New World Order will, will have to be built from the bottom up rather than the top down. An in run around sovereignty, eroding it piece by piece, will accomplish much, much more than the old-fashioned frontal assault. No, so piece by piece, mm -hmm. stealth and secrecy, peace and politics, yeah. Fabianistic revolution, but we're dissolving nation states into the corporate state. It's like a... If we are successful, and, and we, we will, will be. be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, all the quotes kind of come back, right? So, um, and this format kind of helps uh, kind of like seed, or at least provide a timeline or, you know, something to where those those quotes can kind of uh, just naturally make their way up, right? So, uh, well, how are they going to do this without anybody really knowing it, right? It doesn't seem like this is something that, that CNN is reporting on. <laughs> so now... Um, it was on CNN Plus. Though. Oh, Just that's the, what yeah. it is. They launched it on CNN See, Plus. Yeah, they tied it to something that's going to go down, <laughs> and then it's gone. Yeah. yeah. And so now uh, they're going to use the existing infrastructure of the secret societies, Uh or the, what we should really call the secret social societies, the, the roundtable organizations. And here it is important to know that you have three types of societies in operation here. So, uh, one, you have secret societies. These are the Jesuits, um, historically Jesuits, Freemasonry, Knights Templar, Rosicrucian, SMOM, this uh, sovereign military order of Malta. 
Um, and, and in these scenarios, you're going to have things that are akin to like, you know, secret rites and rituals of initiation. This kind of gets us into um, Mr. the missed religion stuff that we'll cover later. Um, you'll have secret signs and symbols, handshakes or gestures. You'll have secret oaths, Masonic oaths, Jesuit oaths. Uh, you have mystical or spiritual components to mm-hmm. them. Truth is gained by initiation and service. You'll have, you know... You operate behind front organizations, so fronts behind fronts behind fronts. You're sworn to secrecy, um, and you take these blood oaths. Um, and if you violate those blood oaths, then and they have these horrible ways that they say that they would. You know, heads are gonna roll. Heads are gonna roll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they have what's known as various rings of power in a pyramidal structure, which is why they use a lot of this symbology. And the symbology comes from the mystery religions, but it's been adopted and kind of modified for other other purposes. Yeah, we come a little bit in communist subversion right rings within rings within rings yeah yeah, yeah. the yeah. idea is again with the 0.01 percent of the one percent control the whole world exactly yeah. right so that that idea is going to go back to weissop right so adam weissop founder of the bavarian illuminati mm-hmm. 1776 so um the next piece here is the it's two um number two is the the secret social societies and the secret social societies would be something like council on foreign relations the bilderberg group the club of rome budapest and madrid the committee of 300 the royal institute of international affairs or chatham house uh the trilateral commission bohemian grove there's a whole list that i think i think we may show some of them later yep um and so on this, you have, you're initiated based on a skill set. This is not secret handshakes and things like that. Uh, you have connections, you have power, you have influence, you have money. And so what matters here is, you know, state government policy, and you determine the policies of each nation state that you, that you want to influence. And so the third population is us, me and you, ordinary people in a state, nation, or uh, city. And we're the general population, eat, sleep, school, work, repeat, uh, birth, school, work, taxes, debts, retirement, <laughs> let it repeat, right? So The American dream. The American dream, yeah. right, straight up. So uh, we mentioned, you know, this is this is kind of like, you know, getting into like some of my favorite stuff here because, you know, the, a lot of the details start uh, to pop out at this particular point. So, you know, in Communist Version 1, we mentioned Cecil Rhodes with his diamond and gold fortune determined that, you know, we, we're, I'm going to use this fortune to uh, in my seven wills to set up the scholarship program to formulate a secret society to expand the British Empire. As Carol Quigley would note in his book, uh, The Anglo-American Establishment, page 2, it says, The Rhodes Scholarship was established by the terms of Cecil Rhodes' seventh will, are known to everyone. What's not so widely known is, is that Rhodes, in five previous wills, left his fortune to form a secret society, which uh, was to devote itself to the preservation and expansion of the British Empire. Oh, that's nice, Rose. Thanks for doing that. Um, later on, the direction changes from a world empire based on Britain or British Empire to the New World Order, as it's known today, based in Manhattan with the United Nations as the front organization under control of what's known as the Rockefeller Consortium. And so if there's ever these questions like, you know, when, when these guys die off, who, who's the predominant guy that takes over and takes this thing to, you know, if um, it's kind of like in Glorious Bastards where, you know, he, he approaches a guy like, you know, you're... Your empire skills are a bit amateur. Yeah, we're here to see if you want to go pro. Yeah, <laughs> and so they go pro under the the Rockefeller Consortium, yeah. right? So, and so in in the book Anglo American Establishment, Carol quickly says on page two, he goes, and what does not seem to be known to anyone is that the secret society was created by Rhodes, and his principal trustee, Lord Milner, and he continues to exist today. And to be sure, this secret society is not a childish thing like the Ku Klux Klan and does not have any secret robes or secret hand clasps or secret passwords. 
it does not have a need for these things because the members all know each other intimately. And so you go, okay, this is where we're kind of getting into some, some good detail here. So uh, what was the name of this alleged secret society uh, Carol Quigley talks about? So he goes, this secret society or this society has been known at various times as Milner's Kindergarten, as the Roundtable Group, as the Rhodes Crowd, as the, as the Times Crowd, and the All Souls Group, and as the Cliveden Set. So the, the Cliveden set, that's from the Astor County House where they used to stay. And all of these terms are unsatisfactory for one reason or another, according to Carol Quigley. And so, well, you know, what did Quigley end up calling the group? But they have all these different names. What did, what did he settle on? He goes, uh, and I have chosen to call it the Milner group, right? Those persons who have used other terms um, uh, or, or had or heard them used have not generally been aware that all of these various terms refer to the same group. Yeah. And so he goes on to say that page four, he goes, all these terms were more or less inadequate. Well, why are they inadequate? Well, because they focused attention on only a part of the society or only part of all of its activities. And so, well, in this group, who is the leader? Um, and so in the Anglo-American establishment, it says, Carol Quigley, page four, the leader was Cecil Rhodes, fabulously wealthy empire builder and the most important person in South Africa. The second was William T. Stead, the most famous and probably almost the, the most sensational journalist of the day. The third was Reginald Balliol Brett, later known as Lord Escher, friend and confidant of Queen Victoria and later the most influential advisor to the King Edward and King George. Now that we have the key figures, what was the actual plan? If we continue, it says the plan of the organization provided an inner circle to be known as the Society of the Elect and the outer circle to be known as the Association of Helpers within this, the Society of the Elect. The real power is to be exercised by the leader and a junta of three. The leader was to be Rhodes and the junta was to be Stead, Brett and Alfred Milner. And so he asked the question, what is this junta thing that you're referring to? A junta is a military political group that rules a country um, after taking power by force. And so it kind of gives us an idea of the mindset where we're going to take, we're going to do this by force. And so, well, as we go through here, um, who were the junta of three that Rhodes spoke about? Well, the junta of three were represented by William Stead. Britain's most famous journalist, Lord Escher, confidant to Queen Victoria, and later the most influential advisor to King Edward and King George. And Alfred Milner, a colonial uh, administrator who, although he was relatively unknown to the outside world, became the group's leader after Rhodes' death in 1902. How, how long has this guy been thinking about this idea and before he can finally put it into fruition? And so according to Carol Quigley on page four, he says, as we shall see, Rhodes had been planning for this event for more than 17 years. It's oh. a long time. <laughs> so we're going to find out later that, you know, Rhodes is alone in, in you know, giving birth to these ideas. Um, yes, he has these guys that are actually going to put boots to ground to get it done. But ideas are being shared in the background with other groups that he's a part of. A part of it is Freemasonry. And so we're going to see that, you know, this this was going to be the birth of something that was going to be like the business layer aspect of the New World Order that can that can be used to end the nation states. Uh, yeah, set up the corporate state that will take over the nation state. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There mm -hmm. you go. All right. So and go. how was this group identified over the years? Well, let's keep going. Page five. Uh, this is Quigley. During this period of almost uh, 60 years, the society has been called by various names uh, during the first decade. Um, 
or so it was called the Secret Society of Cecil Rhodes or the Dream of Cecil Rhodes. Okay, after the decade is over, what do they call it? In the second and third decades of his existence, is known as Milner's Kindergarten, 1901 to 1910. Um, after this second decade, the Round Table Group, 1910 to 1920, were what were they called after the 1920s? Well, since 1920 had been, they had been called by various names depending on which phase of the activities was being examined. It's uh, it has been called the Times Crowd, the Rhodes Crowd, the Chatham House Crowd, the All Souls Group, and the Cliveden Set. And so, all right, um, uh, what was the the history of this group? Well, Quigley notes on page six, the history can be divided into four periods. Um, the first period was the preparation phase. The second period was the Rhodes phase. The third period was the New College phase. The fourth period was the Souls phase, referring to All Souls College. And so, uh, what were the four phases? So, well, the first period is the preparation period, and that's 1873 to 1891. Uh, it could be called the preparatory period, uh, centering around William Stead and uh, Alfred Milner. Okay, the second phase was the Rhodes period. So, was he prominent then? Well, the second period from 1891 to 1901 could be called the Rhodes period, although Stead was the chief figure for most of it. Okay, the third... So, about 10 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the third period, uh, the new college phase, uh, the third period from 1901 to 1922 uh, could be called the new college period and, and centers around uh, Alfred Milner still. And so, uh, well, the fourth period, the souls period, the fourth period from about 1922 to the present could be called the all souls period and centers around Lord Lothan. Lord Brand and Lionel Curtis. These are important names because of the organizations that they, they later found, and they're going to have a hand in what we currently today know as, as the Roundtable Group. So um, so we have to ask the question, well, what happened during these phases? Well, during these periods, the group grew steadily in power and influence uh, until about 1939. What, what were their accomplishments? That seems like a long period. What were these guys doing? Well, um, this is the most surprising when we learn that one of the most uh, or one of the chief methods by which this group works has been through propaganda. And this is an important piece, right? So uh, will it plot at the, the Jameson Raid of 1895? It caused the Boer War of 1899 and 1902. It set up uh, the controls, the Rhodes Trust. That's you know a very important piece for passing down legacy mm-hmm. stuff that they're doing today. It created the Union of South Africa, 1906 to 1910. It established the South African periodical, The State, in 1908. It founded the British Empire periodical, The Round Table, in 1910. And this remains the mouthpiece of the group. It has been the most powerful single influence at All Souls, Balliol, and New College at Oxford for more than a generation. And he lists this long list of you know, things that we're going to kind of care about later. is going to be he, the founding of the Royal Institute of International Affairs mm-hmm. in 1919. And uh, a couple of these pieces that are going to pop back up, pop back up later. So uh, controls and still controls to the very considerable extent the the sources and the writings of the the history of British imperial and foreign policy since the Boer War. <laughs> we go back here. Uh, that's 1899 to 1902. And so, well, let, let's continue because there's more interesting things than those. Um, the, the, now the next question is, you know, how was the group structured after Cecil Rhodes? And this starts to get to the goodies. Page seven, um, uh, three groups uh, within the group. So here we are, the rings, within rings, within rings. That was the idea that goes back to Wysop, mm-hmm. 1776, founder of the Bavarian Illuminati. And so these three groups were the Toynbee Group, the Cecil Block, and the Rhodes Secret Society. 
And so what marked each group? Well, the Toynbee group, the Toynbee group was a group of political intellectuals formed at Balliol uh, about 19 or 1873 and dominated by Arnold Toynbee and Milner himself. Then you had the Cecil Block. The Cecil Block was a nexus of political and social power formulated by Lord Salisbury and extending from the great sphere of politics into the fields of education and publicity. Okay, so now we're bringing our intellectuals into, into the scope. Uh, then you have the Rhodes Society. So the Rhodes Secret Society was a group of imperial federalists formed in the period of 1889 using the, the economic resources of South Africa to extend and perpetuate the British Empire. And so in Communist Aversion 1 and 2, we didn't mention this New York Times article, which we can mention here, that talked about the Rhodes-Milner Roundtable Secret Society entitled, Mr. Rhodes, Ideal for Anglo-American Greatness. He believed that a wealthy secret society should work to, well, it should work to secure the world's peace in British-American Federation. And so we asked, the, 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 as we go through the, the quote here, it says, um, what do the articles say? <laughs> well, perhaps it can be best summarized as an argument in favor of the organization of a secret society on the lines of the Jesuit order for the promotion of peace and welfare of the world and the establishment of um, American-British Federation with absolute home rule component parts for the component parts the article states mr rhodes began uh, by declaring that the key to this idea for the development of the english-speaking race was the foundation of a society copied as an organization from the jesuits combined with a differential rate and a copy of the united states constitution wrote mr rhodes should be home rule for the federation or other federation so we see now key players coming to the timeline or at least being mentioned now right yeah right not that they weren't in part of the timeline now they they're being mentioned yeah. and kind of the they're coming the, out of the shadows yeah the bigger <laughs> plan is kind of being revealed slowly slowly yeah. right so if we continue further down it says um but towards securing this millennium mr rhodes uh, uh, uh believed that the most powerful factor would be a secret society organized like liola's but how would you financially support something so large, so powerful, and so clandestine or secret? He continues and provides the answer. He says, it would be supported by the accumulated wealth of those whose aspiration is the desire to do something. Oh, other guys like him? You mean other oligarchical collectivists? Yeah, those type of guys. Those are his, his uh, cup of tea. And so uh, there's the corporate state based on oligarchical collectivism coming to power uh, even even further he tells uh, uh, how they're going to carry it out he says the only feasible way to carry out this idea is a secret society and, and what must this secret society do mr rhodes please please tell us he goes gradually absorbing the wealth of the world to be devoted to such an object okay so now we're we're starting to see this pro progress yeah <laughs> toward the corporate state right there yeah. you go slowly slowly we'll own the whole world yes, pretty much there yeah. you go there you go so so if you remember Cecil Rhodes at the time was one of the wealthiest men of all human history and we um included him in communist version one and communist version two but as you may know that's the tip of the the, the iceberg. iceberg right Remember, you know, what Carol Quigley says at Cecil Rhodes Secret Society says the system that he wants to set up is to be controlled in feudalist fashion. 
feudalist fashion. You want to go back to what the monarchies when they were destroyed? That, that was feudalism. You want to go back to that? Go no, back no, no, no. to the old the structure. The structure. There yeah. you go. Right. He wants to make the decisions, <laughs> or at least whoever is going to be in power of the system that he's building. Right. 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 Yeah. So he himself is a cog in this machine going forward. And so remember, you know, in feudalism, you have kings, queens, you have emperors, monarchs, the nobility, vassals, uh, professional soldiers, and they do the bidding of the king. Uh, who's going to play this kingly role? Uh, and so we get this quote, by the central banks of the world acting in concert by secret agreements arrived at frequent and private meetings and conferences. Well, uh, who has secret fr uh, frequent and private meetings and conferences today? Well, let's continue. Um, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderberg Group, the Trilateral Commission, and in turn, um, they're all interwoven to a dense global network of financial institutions such as the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the World Trade Organizations, the Bank of International Settlements, um, while the military and political institutions such as NATO, the European Union, the United Nations, and think tanks that are the Atlantic Council, the RAND Corporation, the Brookings Institute, the, the Fabian Society, and secret societies and conference groups are Lay Circle, uh, the Club of Rome, the Bohemian Grove, and tax-exempt foundations like the Rockefeller and Ford Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and who range in people in government, media, multinational corporations, other positions of power within a society. And Okay, so what was to be, the at that time, what was to, to be the apex of the system? Uh, we just have to keep reading. Um, the apex of the system was to be the Bank of International Settlements in Bale, Switzerland, which was a private bank owned and controlled by the central banks of the world, which were themselves private corporations. Each central bank in hands like, the, and, and quickly names the names, uh, Sir Montague Norman of the Bank of England. It was Benjamin Strong at the New York Federal Reserve Bank. It was Charles Rist of the Bank of France. It is Jean-Marc of the Reichsbank. These sought to dominate the government by their ability to, and he gives a bulletized list, control treasure, loan, treasure loans, uh, manipulate foreign exchanges, influence economic activity in a country, and influence cooperative politicians by subsequent economic rewards in the business world or private sector. And so the central banks created in the United States, this is a quote from... Um, uh, Frank Adelite, or Adelot, he goes in his book, American Rhodes Scholarship, says, In 1888, Rhodes made his third will. And so leaving everything to Lord Rothschild, his financier, in mining enterprises, with an accompanying letter enclosing the written matter discussed between us. The model of this proposed secret society was the Society of Jesus, though he mentions also the Masons. Uh, the secret society was organized on the conspiratorial pattern of circles within circles and we mentioned before this is the rings mm -hmm. within rings of power and so he continues professor quigley informs us so he's read quigley um that, that a central part of the secret society was established by march of 1891 using Rhodes money the organization was run by rothschild by run run for rothschild by lord alfred milner the round table worked behind the scenes at the highest level of the british government influence in foreign policy and england's involvement in uh and conduct in world war one and so um i think that's that's enough for this particular podcast yeah. um what we can do is uh this one was like a uh, data heavy right 
Yeah, I'm sorry like, I kind of get carried away with all the yeah, good data. Yeah, this is Jeremy's like, favorite topic. So, yeah. <laughs> so much good information that, you know, kind of gives you the, the inner workings of the roundtable organizations. Mm-hmm. And there's so much history there that's kind of off the table. It's the whole flashlight thing again. Yeah. Right? So flashlight close to the ground, small circuit goes up higher. There's a bigger circle. Mm-hmm. More exposure to better data, at least on this subject, because these guys are laying the groundwork for the business layer of the New World Order. That, um, that we want to kind of like uh, help people compartmentalize in their mind when they think about the subject. Yeah. So there's the business layer, there's the mystery religion layer, um, and then you lay all those, you lay that stuff down on the timeline. You can see a, a gradual progression where they're at, where they're going, and um, kind of become predictive at mm-hmm. some point. Yeah, this would become like a good reference video, right? Because uh, a, a yeah, lot hopefully. of the times, yeah, a lot <laughs> of the times we'll, we'll come back to this. Like, hey, we we talked. It was it would be hard to do this one in a slow pace because this is kind of where everything starts and then there's a lot of things happening at the same time, right? Right, yeah. Like you said, when the, from one revolution to another and then uh, setting up the uh, foundation for mm-hmm. uh, to be able to take over the nation states, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, um, to dissolve the sovereignty and the wealth of the nation mm-hmm. states into the corporate state. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, it is a lot, so there's a, they had to do a lot, so there's <laughs> no... Bad, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so if this was a little bit fast, again, going with the, you know, uh, yeah. the comments and all that stuff, saying that uh, things go a little bit fast, but again, uh, this is our excitement of like holding yeah. on sitting on this all this data and then kind of everything is coming out yeah. like fast too once everything is out there and we can refer back to this we can slow down come mm-hmm. back to some of these topics again you know uh, take yeah. it one by one and um go from there yeah so you know, wrap it up so yeah, i think we can do that yeah so stay up to date with everything iconic by following us on all of our social media again we've we've placed the list in the, in the beginning of the uh, mm-hmm. podcast um uh, we have, uh, we're, if you notice, we're not in the, the hoodies today. We're in our, our, our civilian t-shirts. T-shirts. Uh, t-shirts are now available for all three podcasts. Um, you can support us on Patreon if you like what you're doing. Uh, like, share, subscribe. Mm-hmm. Um, Patreon.com slash the iconic podcast. Yep. And all the other links to other social media and everything, too, you can uh, find uh, in the uh, description. Yes, sir. Yep. So with that, thanks for watching. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, be patient with us. We're, we're learning and, yeah. and growing as we go. So <laughs> Yeah, let us know which format you like better. In this one, we try to show a little bit more of the notes and everything, too. Yeah. If you like that, if you don't like, if it... Uh, if, uh, prefer more uh, conversational you know yeah I mean, we, we can do both but yeah. you know i think people well, uh, my assumption was that uh-huh. they would kind of like to see something right so yeah for mentioning all this stuff where is it where's it found exactly yeah so then it would be kind of uh, in between the um communist version type documentaries where we have to show you know we kind of show stuff and uh-huh. then here where we talk or like as we read we uh, and then uh inside note and say exactly you know yeah and then so you can use it as a reference point too because you have right. like books, pages, and all that stuff too. So it's easier to follow. Yep. And maybe we'll put a, a list of all that stuff out where they can find all the sources. Mm-hmm. We've already recommended, you know, Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo American Establishment. Um, there's some new ones in here that we mentioned. And and be a, Sutton, a, yeah. a whole lot more coming yeah. up. Right? Uh-huh. So, so, I mean, it, it's it's good. Um, and, and I think we'll put links for where they can get it on mm-hmm. like Amazon or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, again, so the idea for. God, King, Father, Friend, and Civilian is to be like uh, focused and data heavy, and then the iconic podcast would be a little bit more slow. That Chill. was like kind of yeah, We're just hanging out. Yeah, yeah, that that was the that's how we imagined in our minds, you know. But because I think these ones are coming out first, you know, uh, they they seem a little bit too fast, or you know, 
uh, yeah. too slow. We'll, we'll figure Rapid it out. Fire, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once we'll, 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 we'll find, yeah, we'll find a rhythm as we go too. Yeah, yeah and then um, we'll uh, optimize, right? There yeah. You go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That being said, thanks again for thanks watching. Again for joining. For we'll sure. see you yeah. next time.